Welcome to Quantum Magazine Science Podcast. Each week, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. This week, the brain is always hungry for energy, which may explain why we sometimes make bad decisions. Humans make bad decisions sometimes. If you like Snickers more than Milky Way bars, it seems obvious which one you'd choose. Traditional economic models follow the same intuition. The logic is, people assign value to each choice and go with the most valued option. But our decision-making system has some glitches. In one recent experiment, Paul Glimsher, a neuroscientist at NYU, asked people to choose a candy bar from a variety of options, including their favorites. If, for example, he offered a Snickers, Milky Way, and Almond Joy, participants would always choose their favorite, say the Snickers. But if they were offered 20 candy bars, including a Snickers, the choice became less clear. Sometimes they would pick a bar other than the Snickers, even though it was still their favorite. When Glimsher would remove all the other choices except the Snickers and the candy they had just picked, he said participants wondered why they didn't choose the Snickers, their favorite. Economists have spent more than 50 years documenting irrational choices. Nobel Prizes have been earned, millions of copies of Freakonomics have been sold, but economists still aren't sure why they happen. Eric Johnson, a psychologist at the Center for Decision Science at Columbia University, says that there has been a cottage industry focused on explaining irrational choices and seeking ways to make them go away. But he said none of the half dozen or so explanations are clear winners. In the last 15 to 20 years, neuroscientists have begun to look directly into the brain in search of answers. Angela Yu, a theoretical neuroscientist at UC San Diego, says knowing how information is represented in the brain helps scientists understand why people make decisions the way they do. Glimsher is using both the brain and behavior to try to explain our irrationality. He has combined results from studies like the candy bar experiment with neuroscience data to develop a theory of how we make decisions and why that can lead to mistakes. Glimsher has been a driving force in the young field of neuroeconomics. His theory merges research in brain activity, neuronal networks, and human behavior. Nathaniel Daw, a neuroscientist at Princeton, says Glimsher is famous for arguing that neuroscience and economics should be brought together. One of his most important contributions, Daw said, has been figuring out how to quantify abstract notions such as value and study them in the lab. In a new working paper, Glimsher argues that their neuroscience-based model is better than standard economic theory at explaining how people behave when faced with lots of choices. He says the neural model does a good job at describing something economists couldn't explain. At the core of the model lies the brain's enormous appetite. The brain uses the most energy in the body. It makes up only 2-3% of our overall mass, but consumes 20% of our energy. Because neurons are so energy-hungry, the brain becomes a battleground where precision and efficiency fight. Glimsher argues that it would cost too much energy to boost our decision-making power. That's why we're left overwhelmed by all the choices in the cereal aisle. 
Both economists and neuroscientists are interested in Glimscher's proposal, but not everyone is sold. Camilo Podioscopa, a neuroscientist at Washington University in St. Louis, says he thinks it's exciting, but at this point it's still a hypothesis. Neuroeconomics is still a young field. Scientists don't even agree on what part of the brain makes decisions, let alone how. So far, Glimscher has shown that his theory works under specific conditions, like those in the candy bar experiment. He wants to find other examples for irrational mistakes we often make. He says they're aiming for a grand unified theory of choice. The brain is a power-hungry organ. Neurons are constantly sending each other electrical pulses of information. These are called spikes or action potentials. Just like with an electrical burst, Prepping and firing these signals take a lot of energy. In the 1960s, scientists proposed a model called the efficient coding hypothesis. In the efficient coding hypothesis, the brain handles the energy challenge by encoding information as efficiently as possible. The model predicts that neurons will encode data using the fewest possible spikes, just as communication networks transmit information in the fewest bits. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, scientists showed that this principle works in the visual system. The brain efficiently encodes the visual world by ignoring predictable information and focusing on the surprising stuff. If one part of the wall is yellow, chances are the rest is also yellow. Neurons can gloss over the details of that area, but a giant red splotch on the wall is unexpected and neurons pay special attention to it. Glimscher proposes that the brain's decision-making machinery works the same way. Imagine a simple decision-making scenario, a monkey choosing between two cups of juice. Assume the monkey's brain represents each choice with a single neuron. The more attractive the choice is, the faster the neuron fires. The monkey then compares neuron firing rates to make his selection. The first thing the experimenter does is present the monkey with an easy choice, like a teaspoon of juice versus an entire jug. The teaspoon neuron might fire one spike per second, while the jug neuron fires 100 spikes per second. In that case, it's easy to tell the difference between the two options. One neuron sounds like a ticking clock, the other sounds like the beating wings of a dragonfly. The situation gets more confusing when the monkey is offered the choice between a full jug of juice and a jug that's almost full. A neuron might represent that almost full jug with 80 spikes per second. It's much more difficult for the monkey to distinguish between a neuron firing 80 spikes per second and 100 spikes per second. That's like telling the difference between the dragonfly's flutter and the hum of a locust. Glimscher proposes that the brain avoids this problem by recalibrating the scale to best represent the new choice. The neuron representing the almost full jug, which is now the worst of the two choices, scales down to a much lower firing rate. Once again, it's easy for the monkey to tell the difference between the two choices. Glimscher's model is based on an earlier model called divisive normalization. It spells out the math behind this recalibration process. The model proposes that neurons can send more efficient messages if they encode only the relative differences between the choices in their sequence of spikes. Glimscher says choice sets have a lot of shared information. They're not random and independent. Normalization, he adds, is sucking out excessive information so that the information coming out is as relevant as possible and wastes as little energy as possible. 
Engineers who are used to working with adaptive systems aren't surprised by this idea, but people who study choice often are. According to Da, divisive normalization is great because it takes principles we know from vision and applies them to value in ways that make sense but are out of the box. The juice example is theoretical, but Glimsher has recorded electrical activity from monkeys' brains as they make different kinds of choices. This shows that decision-making neurons behave as the model predicts. If scientists increase the value of one choice, like swapping out a so-so Milky Way with a delicious Snickers, the neurons representing that choice increase their firing rate. If you increase the value of the other choices, the model predicts that its firing rate should go down. This would be like king-sizing the non-Snickers options, which decreases the relative value of the Snickers. Glimsher has shown that neurons in the part of the brain called the parietal cortex do behave this way. This adds physiological support for the model. Glimsher says the divisive normalization function does a superb job of describing the data in all conditions. He adds that it supports the idea that neurons are doing something identical or very close to divisive normalization. The system works well most of the time, but our decision-making machinery can get overwhelmed, like being temporarily blinded by bright sunlight after leaving a dark movie theater. That may be particularly true with the variety of choices we're often faced with in the modern world. Glimsher uses these types of mistakes to test his model. Researchers are now looking at whether these same algorithms can predict human error in other areas where people tend to make poor choices. Neuroeconomics is still a young field filled with questions and controversy, and Glimsher isn't the only neuroscientist to find signs of economic value in the brain. Scientists have measured these neural signatures in different brain regions. They've used both non-invasive brain imaging in humans and direct brain recordings in animals. But researchers disagree over which part of the brain makes the actual decision. What part of the brain calculates that the Snickers bar rates higher than the Milky Way? Padiascopa says there's no single accepted concept of where and how decisions are made. Glimsher did his neural recording experiments in the parietal cortex, but Padiascopa says he's skeptical that area of the brain has anything to do with economic decisions. Damaging the parietal cortex doesn't impair value-based choices, he explains, but damaging the frontal lobe does. For that reason, Padiascopa has doubts about Glimsher's model. When it comes to a neuroscience-based model of choice, he says, no one has a compelling theory at this point. Other scientists like the general concept of divisive normalization, but some think it can be refined to account for more complex aspects of human decision-making. Angela Yu, the neuroscientist from UC San Diego, for example, thinks it works well for simple decisions, but might not hold up in more sophisticated conditions. She says the experimental setting in which they were probing decision-making is very simplistic. To account for the nuances of human decision-making, they need to look at more complex decision-making scenarios. The divisive normalization framework came out of work in the brain's visual system. Yu suggests that applying it to decision-making is more complex. Scientists know a lot about the information that the visual system is trying to encode. Natural scenes fit a set of general, easy-to-calculate properties that the brain can use to filter out unnecessary information. If one pixel is green, for example, its neighbors are more likely to be green than red. But the decision-making system deals with more complex constraints 
and has to consider many types of information. For example, a person might choose which house to buy depending on its location, size, or style, but the relative importance of each of these factors is subjective. It varies from person to person and may even change for someone over time. You suggests that uncertainty in how we value different options is behind some of our poor decisions. For example, if you've bought a lot of houses, you'll evaluate houses differently than if you were a first-time homebuyer. Or if your parents bought a house during the housing crisis, she says, it may later affect how you buy a house. She also argues that visual and decision-making systems have different end goals. Vision is a sensory system. Its job is to recover as much information as possible from the world. Decision-making, on the other hand, is about trying to make a decision you'll enjoy. She thinks the computational goal is not just information. It's something related to behavior, like total enjoyment. For many of us, the main concern over decision-making is practical. How can we make better decisions? Glimsher says his research has helped him develop specific strategies. Instead of picking what he hopes is best, he says now he always starts by eliminating the worst element from a choice set. He reduces the number of options to something manageable, like three. He finds that this really works. Sometimes, he says, you learn something simple from the most complex stuff. For more of this story, read Emily Singer's full article, The Neuroscience Behind Bad Decisions, at quantamagazine.org. I'm Karen Chikurji. We want to hear what you think about this podcast. Please take a minute to leave a review in iTunes. For news, interviews, graphics, and more, visit quantamagazine.org.